Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hello and welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us. Uh, my name is Brian Harrison, the editor of Orange 44. I'm with John Brennan on the line, and uh, this is episode six of the Orange 44 podcast. Thank you so much for listening, if you're doing this or downloading it in the future. Uh, We're going to go over a couple of uh, topics today. Uh, First off, let's just get right to it. Uh, Syracuse plays Florida State tonight in the Dome, their ACC Dome home opener for the conference. Uh, John, you're headed up to the game, uh, if not now, pretty soon. Uh, What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I'm actually on my way to the Dome right now. I'm on Route 13 between Horseheads and Ithaca, and I'm stuck behind some plastic going 50 miles an hour. So, uh, same as it ever was. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, this is going to be one of those games where Syracuse uh, definitely should win the game, but it's definitely going to depend on uh, Rakeem Christmas playing up to his ability and uh, pretty much like you said in your preview, somebody else stepping up and, and making some plays and shooting the ball. Um, it's probably going to end up being a post game, but I, I agree with you, Syracuse is probably going to win. Yeah, I mean, literally Syracuse just needs any other person to start scoring, and that would have put the Georgia Tech game on Wednesday definitely out of reach for Georgia Tech. But, you know, it obviously will help Syracuse tonight. You know, whether that's McCullough finally, I don't know, wakes up for Ms. Hayes that he's been in for about five or six games, or, or if uh, Patterson or Roberson off the bench, you know, starts, you know, making the bunnies that they missed the last couple of games or however it works out, somebody else has to start scoring for this team because Cooney is actually now uh, the last four or five games doing really well. I think he's averaging uh, 17 points over the last five games. Uh, obviously, Christmas has been rock solid. And uh, Silent G uh, has been shooting the ball pretty well lately. So, uh, you know, literally anybody else, if they start scoring, Syracuse is going to be fine in a lot of these uh, games against the bottom half of the uh, of how I think the ACC shakes out. Uh, any more thoughts on tonight's matchup? I mean, uh, I, I think it's going to pretty much end up like Georgia Tech where, where they're going to have to rely on getting the ball inside. And if Syracuse's defense plays half as well as they did against Georgia Tech, you know, Syracuse should look okay. It's especially playing in the Carrier Dome, you know, the Syracuse defense is going to play well anyway, but especially in front of the home crowd, you know, as, as long as they uh, protect the inside and Florida State doesn't have some fluke game where they're just shooting lights out, which, you know, it's bound to happen at some point. As long as it's not against Syracuse, I guess we're okay. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Florida State, too, is they had some, like, puzzling losses this season. I mean, they got smoked by Providence on a neutral floor. Uh, they got uh, beat by UMass on a neutral court. Uh, you know, obviously they lost to Notre Dame in conference, but, I mean, they, they have a loss to Nebraska. They just lost to Mississippi State. And then they beat Florida, which I know Florida isn't that great, but I still think they could have beat Florida State. So it, they've had a weird season so far. Hopefully they don't get a win tonight, uh, and like I said, I don't think they will. I think it'll be pretty close to what we saw on Wednesday. Hopefully with some better offense from the Orange. Yeah, I've uh, pretty much got nothing much to add to that conversation. Fantastic. So we're going to move right along to the uh, season highs and lows. Uh, we're just about the midway point of the season uh, in terms of uh, getting to March. Uh, you know, Syracuse obviously had a, a rocky non-conference slate, uh, having the most losses in the month of November, I think, in like, you know, since 92 or 94, something like that. Um, you know, Syracuse overall has played pretty well. They've beaten the teams they should have beaten. Uh, they lost to Michigan in a close game at Michigan. Uh, sadly lost to St. John's on the dome floor that in a game that really wasn't that close at all. And then took number seven Villanova at Villanova to the wire, uh, had a pretty decent lead in that game that got whittled down in the second half. 
uh, and then ended up losing uh, losing in overtime to Villanova. Since Villanova, however, they won uh, won five straight, looking for six in a row tonight. Uh, you know, John, was the Villanova game your low point in the year, or was it another game, uh, another moment that you were like, wow, this team is uh, really not the Syracuse we've seen over the last four or five years? Well, it, it was by no stretch of the imagination uh, a November as usual for Syracuse. Uh, we're not used to seeing them lose one, let alone two games. Uh, but I think once December rolled around, the team started you know, playing the way that they, they needed to. Um, I, I really think both the St. John's game and the Villanova game, uh, those were really tough losses because uh, Syracuse could have won both of those. Um, definitely more so the Villanova game than the, uh, the St. John's game. Uh, but what this team has been able to do since then, and you, you, know, you could tell that they're on their way up after those two games. Uh, but, you know, the, the way that they've turned it around, they, they you know, they beat the, the Polgate and the, the Cornell and uh, got some momentum coming into the conference play. Uh, and, and, of course, the way that the schedule has worked out uh, in terms of the conference play, we have uh, kind of done what we've needed to do so far, although we've, we've scraped by. But, you know, the, these are games, you know, these first five, six conference games, they're set up for Syracuse to win. And if Syracuse doesn't win them, then it's going to be a, a very, very tough season for Syracuse. Uh, but I, I, I like the way that they're playing overall. Um, maybe not so much uh, that Georgia Tech game, uh, but I, I think the team is coming together. They're finding ways to to score when they absolutely need to. They're finding ways to win, and, and if they can win these first five or six ACC games, at least they're going to have a chance going through the, the part of the schedule to make something happen, maybe get a couple of upsets over teams that they really should lose to, and, you know, we'll, we'll see where everything falls out. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I think you have to put that Villanova game as the low point of the season. It's, uh, you know, I, I didn't think going into that game, Syracuse was going to win. But once they had that lead that they had going into the half, and then, uh, you know, even with the lead they had going into the last couple of minutes of that game, you know, it was so soul crushing to the to then end up losing. And well, I should say it was soul crushing to even have to get to overtime the way they did. But then I think everyone knew once they got to overtime they weren't going to win that uh, at Villanova. But uh, yeah, I mean, you you like to see what Trevor Cooney has got going in the season. Um, finally, it seems Christmas has been pretty solid all the way through. But uh, you know, McCullough playing so early, uh, so well, so early that he did, and now kind of being the ghost on the floor uh, is kind of troubling to see. But the encouraging part is that Caleb Joseph, which had a lot of the emphasis going in on the season because obviously he was supposed to be the backup to Ennis last, uh, you know, this season, but Ennis ended up leaving because Ennis had such a good year last year, uh, and so a lot of uh, and and rightly so, media attention has been focused on Caleb Joseph, but. Uh, since then, he's really kind of improved. He looked absolutely lost in, in a bunch of those early games, like at Michigan uh, and against St. John's. And, and since then, he's he's uh, gotten a lot better. He, he's uh, made less turnovers. And, and uh, despite not scoring at all uh, in the Georgia Tech game, uh, you know, I still think he's better to be on the floor now in terms of running the, uh, running the office than he was before. Uh, and, and frankly, he's dishing out assists, which is good for Syracuse because uh, on a lot of those buckets, they, they need those. Uh, but uh, did you have a high point for the season so far? Uh, was there any of these past couple of ACC games where they kind of squeaked them out, or was it earlier in, in uh, one of the uh, you know absolute uh, non-conference beatdowns? Have you, do you have a highlight in your mind of the season so far, or has it all been kind of uh, bad to uh, acceptable basketball? Uh, I, that's a tough question. I mean, uh, we didn't really think much of it at the time. That win over Iowa, uh, after we lost to California, it, it's looking much, much better than it did at the time uh, as time has gone on. So, you know, that, that certainly looks good in hindsight. Um, I mean, the, the wins over Colgate and Cornell, um, you know, the two teams that you expect Syracuse to beat every season anyway, um, 
ended up being really good wins for Syracuse, and, and I think really gave the team uh, the confidence and the momentum that they needed going into the conference play. So um, I, I think if, if you're asking in terms of a, a high point thus far, uh, those two games would be it. Uh, but I'm certainly hoping that the high point of the season is, is yet to come. Yeah, I agree with that, and and I would only add that uh, you know maybe at the end of that Louisiana Tech game, uh, the inbound possession and and getting the ball to a team to end up winning that game by two, uh, you know I think that showed that the team had maybe turned a corner uh, and would be able to win those close games. Unfortunately, Syracuse uh, in the very next game against Villanova, you know, lost it the way they did. But I looked at that as, oh, well, you know, Syracuse is able to, in a crunch time situation with all the pressure on them, and, and it's either make a basket or lose, they were able to get the ball to King Christmas, and, and they were able to make a play. So uh, to me, that was, a, I don't know if it was a highlight of the season, but, but the most encouraging part of the season I've seen so far. And obviously, gutting out the last couple of games has, has been good, too. Uh, but let's move on to, uh, you know, we, we kind of got, talked about it a little bit, but the ACC outlook, uh, obviously with the next few games uh, versus Wake Forest in the Dome at Clemson and then BC uh, in the Dome, uh, really until January 24th, we're not playing a team that has even uh, been heralded as a, as a great team uh, in the ACC so far this season. So Syracuse has a chance to, to really rack up uh, four more conference wins until they they get probably really tested with Miami and then uh, back-to-back playing uh, at UNC. Uh, UNC played a hell of a game yesterday, by the way. But, uh, you know, really it's, it's a, a chance for Syracuse to kind of vault them to the, to the top page of the ACC standings and stay there and, and get a bit of a buffer before they start playing the really tougher games. Uh, looking ahead, how do you see Syracuse finishing in the ACC? I think they'll probably end up in the top half, uh, maybe around – five or uh, six or seven at this point. But earlier in the year, I would have said they were going to be like, you know, 13th or 14th. I'm a little more encouraged now by how Syracuse has been playing. How do you think they'll end up in the at the end? I tend to agree with you, Brian. I think uh, the, the top half of the league, certainly, although certainly not the top of the top half, um, uh, the one caveat I guess I would have to that is, you know, the fact that we've, week by on our first two ACC games this season. So well, once we get to, you know, some really good teams in the ACC, you know, we're not going to win both games like that. We're not even going to be in both games like that. You know, unless Syracuse figures out how to shoot the ball, how to get, uh, you know, Chris McCullough involved or, you know, uh, maybe get a few more points out of uh, Chris. Uh, I already took Chris uh, McCullough. Uh, uh, probably Caleb Joseph, even though he's our point guard, you know, it would be nice to get some offensive production out of him, too. Um, yeah, you know, seven, six, five, if we're lucky in terms of uh, where we place in the, the ACC. Um, you know, there's a lot of good teams in this conference this season, and, you know, with, with Louisville joining the mix, that, that just adds strength to the top of the, the conference. And none of these games are going to be easy, let alone the, the top flight team. So, you know, like I said earlier, I, I think Syracuse probably has what it takes to beat the teams that they should beat. Um, and I think one or two of those games where we're up against a, a top-notch team that we probably should lose to, Syracuse, you know, might make some magic happen and pull an upset. But, you know, I, I wouldn't count on that happening all the time. And, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is we're just not the, the team that we usually are. So I, I think Syracuse uh, fans are going to have to get used to the fact that we're going to lose a lot more of the games that we traditionally would win it's just because they're better than we are. Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, top – but the ACC will really be decided by the Duke-Virginia game. Uh, they only play once uh, uh, this year, so I, I think whoever wins that is probably going to end up holding on to the uh, the top of the conference, despite Duke's loss today, which was shocking in of itself. But, uh, uh, you know, 
Virginia might be the number one team by the end of the year, depending on what happens with Kentucky. And Kentucky's had a couple of scares now, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I see Syracuse, in, you know, behind Virginia, Notre Dame, Duke, Louisville, uh, and maybe North Carolina. And Syracuse, I think, could fall in that six. But really they could be anywhere from from six to to 11 or 12, depending on how it, it shakes out. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, but let's talk about Rakeem Christmas. How good has Rakeem Christmas been? How good was Rakeem Christmas at the end of that Georgia Tech game uh, with just ice water in his veins hitting those two big free throws? But really, he's been sensational all year. Well, clearly without Rakeem Christmas, uh, Syracuse does not beat Georgia Tech. Um, I mean, he had the buzzer beater at the end of the first half to put Syracuse up by one going into halftime. And then uh, just the amazingly clutch free throw shooting at the end of the game to ultimately seal it for Syracuse. Uh, that, that was uncharacteristic, really, for for Syracuse in general, but for Team Christmas throughout his career. Um, I, I'm very impressed with the transformation that he's had from his junior season to his senior season. Um, you know, Jim Beheim told us at the beginning of the season that he he's going to be the most improved player in the conference, if not the country. And, you know, we're all like, okay, Jim Beheim likes to blow a lot of hot air sometimes, but it's, it's for real. I mean, the, he's, he's not the routine Christmas that we've known for the past three seasons. And, and I don't say that to devalue what he brought to those three seasons, uh, you know, his freshman, junior, and uh, freshman, sophomore, junior years. But the, the difference, he's made, uh, especially offensively, because he's just never been the offensive threat that, uh, you know, C.J. Fair or somebody else like that was. Uh, you know, to, to move him over to, to full-time center with with our uh, Daywan Coleman problems and, and get that sort of offensive uh, production out of our center, it's, it's something that Syracuse has not had in a long time. And you know, he's absolutely the rock to the team. And, you know, call it a pun as much as you want, but it is what it is. And the fact that we can get that sort of production out of our center, our team leader, uh, is all the more reason why our forwards have to step up. And, you know, somebody as good as Chris McCullough, uh, especially the, the way that he played the first six games of the season, if he steps up, he gets hot, he uh, does what he needs to do. That could really, really help Syracuse, you know, cement their position in the top half of the league and, and really compete in some of these games that it's going to be really tough for Syracuse to beat. Yeah, I mean, I would argue that Syracuse hasn't had a, a scoring threat at center since Orenzo uh, and Owaku like Christmas. I mean, Christmas is uh, reliable and below post. Can can has that little jump hook. Uh, you know, can can score near the bucket. Obviously, can slam the ball. You know, if uh, Benajay or, or Joseph lobs it up, he can throw it down. Uh, and I just I don't think we've had as reliable of a scoring center since maybe Lorenzo Onawaku. Um, you know, despite how good uh, you know Fad Miller was at shot blocking, or, or same with. Uh, uh, being with Sakita, I just, you know, it was questionable whether they were good, consistent scorers, whereas I think Christmas, obviously, he's, his uh, field goal percentage is high. He's making, you know, more than he's not. And, uh, you know, really, that's all you can ask for the center position in terms of uh, getting good offensive production. So, I mean, uh, you know, really, I mean, he's the best player uh, for Syracuse, obviously, but he might be the best player in the ACC in terms of improvement, don't you think? Uh, hands down on that, and, and just to go back to what you were saying about uh, Arendze and Owasu being the scoring threat, they absolutely was, and, you know, uh, I, I would say probably if he hadn't gotten hurt in the Big East tournament against Georgetown, uh, Syracuse is a, a very legitimate shot at the national championship that year, but uh, I, I think uh, Raheem Christmas is much better and much more efficient offensively than uh, Arente Onuwaku was. So it's certainly uh, an asset to this team and, and 
if he's not there, this team is not winning any more games. And that, that, that just seems pretty clear to me. Yeah, and the difference, I think, between Christensen and Walker is, we saw at the end of the Georgia Tech games, the guy can hit free throws. And right now his free throw percentage is 73.8. I think Lorenzo and Iwaku is maybe would break 60. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> and, and he airballed a number of them. So, you know, right there is a, is a bonus in and of itself, especially down late in the game. If, if uh, you know, you could only get him the ball inbounds again and then they intentionally foul him to, to put him on the line. It's, you know, that's, that's, you have to make free throws in college basketball. Uh, all right, turning to uh, an, a related Syracuse topic, uh, Doug Malone obviously walked away from his Buffalo Bills contract. He's being interviewed by the Jets, I think, is the most likely landing spot at this point, which would complete the trade of coaches from the Bills <laughs> to the Jets and vice versa. Um, uh, also getting a look at Atlanta and uh, maybe some deep, uh, old coordinators' uh, jobs somewhere. I'm not t- quite sure on that, but... Uh, obviously spent four years at Syracuse, took took Syracuse out of the uh, quagmire that was left over from uh, that coach we don't like to name. Uh, you know, kind of gave legitimacy back to the Syracuse program. Didn't, didn't take them to the, uh, you know, the top 25 or anything in terms of uh, status or prestige or even wins, but obviously brought Syracuse back from the brink of death. Um, got uh, a couple of bowl wins, obviously uh, a bowl appearance uh, for the first time in, in forever uh, since uh, 04 uh, when they went to the 09 Pinstripe Bowl. Um, you know, your thoughts on Doug Marone, how he left, uh, you know, uh, and and even how you think he did at the NFL level? Well, as a Syracuse fan, I'm, I'm always going to have a, a spot in my heart for Doug because of what he was able to do for the program, uh, you know, taking over for he who shall not be named, uh, and just, you know, turning it into a winning program that we can actually have pride in. Uh, you know, that there were some, you know, not so good feelings when he left for the NFL, but, you know, it's a, a personal decision, a business decision. I get it. It was the right thing for him to do. Uh, and, I've been able to put that behind me. And to be completely honest, I wasn't totally, you know, pissed off at him when he left Syracuse to go to Buffalo anyway. I, I just thought it was a good move for him. And, you know, for, for Scott Schaefer to take over the program, and um, although he certainly hasn't had the same sort of uh, success that Doug Barone has with the program, um, you know, I, I think we could have been left in a much worse position than the way that he, uh, that Doug Moreau left it for us. So, you know, I, I can't be mad at him for leaving, and I, I I think things will be okay with Syracuse football in the long term uh, for a lot of the, the things that Doug Moreau did to the program while, while he was there. Um, you know, Doug's position at, uh, at Buffalo was short-lived, obviously, and, and he left on his own terms quite lucratively. Uh, you know, all the credit in the world to his agent for uh, crafting the contract that he did so that he could uh, leave when there was an ownership change and still get paid for it. I mean, God, I would never have thought of that. So good for his agent and good for Doug Barone to recognize uh, what it sounds like was a pretty toxic situation for him in terms of uh, you know, his vision for the team not meshing with anyone else's vision for the team, uh, quite frankly. Um, you know, you, you hear a lot about how he, uh, you know, likes to micromanage everything himself, which probably isn't a great trait if you're a head coach of an NFL team. Uh, that might be a little bit better of a trait when you're the head coach of a, a college team. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, in the NFL, that doesn't work because there's too many moving parts. There's ownership to worry about. There's a general manager that's, uh, you know, probably going to have a little bit more say over, uh, certainly over personnel, uh, you know, over the head coach. So I, I don't know if Doug Marone is cut out to be 
an NFL head coach uh, and be successful at it. Uh, you know, if, if a team decides to sign him as a head coach, I guess we'll see how that turns out. Um, you know, certainly he proved himself as a coordinator down in uh, New Orleans. Uh, he certainly has that offensive mindset, you know, especially with the uh, offensive line because that, you know, that was his, his position when he played. That's his bread and butter. So you know that any uh, Doug Brown coach team with the right personnel is going to be strong on offense. And I think that's why uh, his tenure in Buffalo was so disappointing because, you know, he, he just didn't have what he wanted in terms of personnel. Um, you know, there's certainly a lot of talent that he left behind in Buffalo, but I don't think it was the talent that he wanted for his particular system. So, you know, I, I think if he gets uh, an offensive coordinator job somewhere in the NFL or if he becomes this uh, special consultant in Houston, uh, which is one of the rumors I've seen in the last couple of days, uh, you know, I, I think that's really where he can have uh, a strong influence on uh, on another NFL team. Uh, of course, if, if he ends up being a head coach somewhere and things work out, hey, good for you, Doug. You know, you're, you're making four million this year, regardless. And uh, I guess if, if you want to try to leave your your mark on an NFL team, let's see what you can do. Yeah, I've gone back and forth uh, a couple of times on this, where I was initially like massively upset that he left Syracuse when he did. And then I was like, well, you know, it's the NFL. Uh, you know, I can't really fault the guy for wanting to take an NFL job. But then I'm like, well, he said Syracuse is a dream job. If he really meant that, why would he leave when he, you know, you know, he didn't. I mean, he got a Big East championship, but, you know, in the Big East, I mean, let's be honest, it wasn't great football either way. But, you know, just the way that he left when he took his offensive coordinator and, and uh, you know, a good chunk of the staff and and uh, didn't seem to care how Syracuse ended up and, and the timing of it when he left put Syracuse in a, an awkward position to try and, and find a new coach. Uh, you know, and then I've since doubled even back around again to where, uh, you know, I think he kind of, you know, the, the hubris that he he possessed when he decided to leave Buffalo when, you know, I think he only had, what, like maybe 12 wins over the last couple of seasons or something like that. Um, you know, I mean, I guess, again, good for him for being able to craft it the way he did and get, get the money he's going to get and, you know, probably end up in a better coaching situation anyway with the owners giving him more input. But, again, has he really warranted that input? I don't know if that's the case. Uh, based on his record, so uh, you know, I'm at the point now where I, I, I'm, you know, I'm just sick of the Doug Marone talk, period, and I, I kind of want to just move on and be, and be done with it. And uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm not a big NFL guy, you know that, John. I'd, I'd rather watch all day on Saturday and and maybe catch one or two games on Sunday at most. But uh, you know, it just seems to me the way he left and and the way he, uh, I don't know, the way he is. Uh, it just kind of rose me the wrong way now because I, I feel like at Syracuse he was a pretty warm, personal guy. And and then towards the end of that tenure when he was kind of getting criticism from people and things like that uh, for not going for more or close losses or, uh, you know, being too conservative or sticking to the sheet when he should take more chances kind of stuff, I just think he reacted, I don't know, in, in, a, in a weird way. Uh, you know, lashing out at the media or, or the critics or things like that, and, and uh, not much has changed my opinion of him since then, really. Yeah, that, that's definitely true, and that's that's evidently just who Doug Marone is. You know, he's he's always going to think that there's something better out there. You know, dream job or no dream job. Um, you know, he, he needs to project a, a sense of of happiness, of purpose, wherever he ends up. So. You know, if he's going to inflate the language that he uses to, you know, get that message across, then, you know, he's, he's going to do what he's going to do. Uh, but he's, I think he's of the personality that there's always going to be something better for him. And he's he's going to stay somewhere, and then he's going to leave, and it's, it's just going to leave a bad taste in the mouth of that fan base wherever he goes and leaves. Uh, and that's just 
who Doug Marone is at this point. Um, one thing I did want to say that I, I forgot to mention my, my first go-around on Doug Marone, um, just kind of playing hypotheticals here. Uh, let's say Doug Marone never goes to Buffalo. He, he stays in Syracuse. Uh, we have the same coaching staff in place uh, from that 2012 bowl season. Um, where do you think Syracuse is right now in terms of its football program at Doug Marone State? Uh, well, you know, this year, you know, I don't think a lot of it in terms of the losses came down to the staff that they had or, or uh, really even, you know, what happened with the personnel in terms of George McDonald and, and the offensive coordinator situation. Uh, when I, do I think you would have seen better football and more offensive football? Yes, but in terms of actual win-losses, I'm not sure – uh, how much it would have been affected because I think the real problem with this year's Syracuse team was the injuries, and and that you know wouldn't have been affected whether Doug Marone was there or, or you know Nick Saban. It, it, that wouldn't have mattered, I, I don't think, because it was just the way the season played out. Um, would we have been saying more though that you know that game wasn't unwatchable or that offense looked terrible, that kind of thing? Yeah, maybe that would have been the case. Um, you know, when you have, you're playing your third and fourth string quarterback, I don't know if that's avoidable, but it would seem to me that I think, you know, Doug Marone would have known that if you're on the one-yard line, you can't call a play where the running back is seven yards deep in your end zone trying to run out. You know, I don't think Doug Marone would have called that. Uh, so in terms of that regard, yeah. Again, though, would it have affected wins and losses for this season? I don't know that it would have. Yeah, and really I think where I come down on that is I think Syracuse would have been better last year. Um, not to say that the, the football program wasn't good last year, but, I mean, if they had to, to fight and lobby to, to make it to that Texas Bowl. And, you know, for as good as the Texas Bowl was to Syracuse and for as good as Syracuse was to the Texas Bowl, let's face it, that, that's not a, a premier bowl by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I, I think Syracuse probably would have made it to a more uh, flashier bowl last year uh, had Doug Marone stuck around. And, um, you know, obviously you never know what's going to happen injury-wise. And I guess for sake of, of argument, you have to assume that uh, the injury bug that plagued Syracuse this year under uh, Scott Schaefer was probably going to happen regardless of who the head coach was. Uh, so, you know, Ultimately, does it affect the overall wins and losses? Uh, if it does, slightly. But, um, you know, I, I think overall the program is still probably about where it would be, regardless of the uh, Barone sticking around or Scott Schaefer taking over. So, um, you know, just a, a little bit of revisionist history isn't really going to do us any good at this point, I suppose. Well, and, uh, you know, I like Schaefer overall. I think he had some tough races here, and I don't think anybody else could have done better in terms of what happened to the season because, like I said, I think it was mostly due to the injuries. I don't think it was anything specific that he did or didn't do that would have made a difference. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think the leash has gotten a little shorter, and I think the hot seat has gotten a little warmer for Schaefer, and, and it'll be interesting to see how he responds to it this next season and if they can pull in some uh, some recruiting you know, that's three or four star guys again, like they have been versus, uh, you know, what they uh, were getting in the other era. Um, the interesting thing will be because McDonald mainly handled the recruiting for Syracuse. What's going to happen with that? He, he was a, uh, had a well-known pipeline to South Florida, which some of the really good players that were overlooked by, uh, you know, SEC or other ACC teams were heading to Syracuse. And we'll have to see if that continues or, or what happens there in terms of recruiting for Syracuse. But uh, other than that, I think Schaefer has been doing an, a good job. And, and uh, you know, again, I don't think he could have done much better this year with the injuries that we had. But how, how's your feeling on Schaefer uh, overall so far and, and how this year ended up? I, I like the guy. I like his intensity. Um, uh, I, like Marone, I, you know, he's a lot of coach speak when he talks to the media. Um Maybe that's just how college football is these days. Uh, but I, I think he's a good coach. I, I think his players really like him. And obviously that's how he got the job. You know, the Doug Grohl leaves and the, the players were calling up Dr. Gross and saying, look, you need to hire Scott Schaefer. 
So, you know, he's got to give all the credit to his players for standing behind him and, and essentially promoting him. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he did a good job with the team uh, in 2013, uh, leading them to the bowl game. And I, I think he got a raw deal this year with all the injuries. Uh, so you got to give him a pass for, for this past year. Uh, so I, I really think that 2015 is going to be a defining season for Scott Schaefer. Um, you know, he, he's proven that he can be a good coach. Uh, and, you know, I, this is theoretically going to be a, a healthy season. Of course, you always want it to be a healthy season. But um, assuming that the, the, the core players for Syracuse are healthy, uh, this is Scott Schaefer's uh time to shine and to, to show that he is deserving of the head coach position. Uh, if that doesn't work out, then he's absolutely going to be on the hot seat. And, uh, you know, the, the administration is going to look to make a change. Uh, I hope he can turn it around. I, I hope he can get the, the most out of his players and, uh, and that they stay healthy. Because I, I do like him, and, and I think he's got the intensity that the, the program needs. So I, I would certainly love to see him do well and stay in Syracuse for a long time. Yeah, I you know I think it'll depend on how he does this year uh, or this next season coming up rather. But uh, yeah, I mean I I think he's done a good job and I think he'll continue to do a good job. Um, people that aren't doing a good job, however, Carl Hess, uh, you know, as we saw the uh, ACC cut ties them, the uh, American Conference cut ties with him, and the Big East is holding an investigation, which I'm sure will result in them cutting ties with him, uh, essentially putting Carl Hess uh, out of a, out of the uh, business, uh, unless you know other conferences, uh, you know maybe not not Power Five, uh, sign him up, or maybe he even goes down to D2 or something like that. Uh, you know that'd be on him. I don't know, but. Uh, you know he might be done with what he's doing. Um, you know, but uh, as I made the point on the on our blog, uh, you know, it should have been some offhanded comment he made, uh, you know, giving him the benefit of the doubt in jest uh, about somebody's race that should have done Carl Hessen. Uh, you know, as uh, Syracuse.com chronicled, even since 2012, he's had 10 separate controversial moments on the floor, uh, basically all starting with when he ejected two, uh, you know, NC State alums, uh, which the ACC uh, made released a statement saying that he was done. Uh, he, he gave a technical file to Rick Pitino for yelling at his own player and not even addressing Hess. Um, you know, he, he gave technical files to people on benches for talking to their own players, and he overheard it. Um, you know, obviously we saw uh, a couple uh, in December, Hess gave a, a tee to uh, NC State's Mark Gottfried, uh, you know, about – Four minutes and and three seconds into the game, which I don't know what he what, what he could have been so worked up over that he got a tee or or what he could have said to get a tee that early in the game. Um, so really, my point was that it shouldn't have been some offhanded comment uh, that had a racial tone to it that got him, uh, you know, uh, at least suspended, uh, let alone completely ties cut. It should have been his overall performance on the court. Uh, going back to my broader opinion that I've held for some time now, that there's no real accountability for these officials at the Division One level in college basketball. Uh, your thoughts on what happened to Carl, and and uh, you know any any comments on the broader issues of, of officiating? I am certainly not uh, sad to see him go. Uh, you know, he had that reputation as very similar to you know the Jim Burr, the Tim Higgins in the the Big East. Uh, if, if you saw those guys on your crew or if you, if you, you saw uh, Carl Hess on the crew for your game, you're like, oh, we're in for, for one of those games tonight. Uh, so I, I'm certainly not upset to see him leave. Um, you know, it's the, the reputation that preceded him uh, I think really boils down to he he's way too into himself as opposed to the game. You know, it, it's way too easy to hurt his feelings and when you hurt his feelings you know, he's going to snap he's going to tee you up he's going to eject you, you know, whatever and you know this, as an official 
you have to have some thick skin because you're going to get criticized. That's the nature of the game. And I just don't think his, his skin was thick enough to, to take that and handle it in the professional manner that I think should be expected of every B1 official. Um, so I, I think that was probably his biggest downfall, uh, you know, that the fact that, you know, he, w- he thought that he was bigger than the game. And no official should ever think that. Um, in, in terms of the accountability, you're, you're absolutely right. You hit it right on the head. Uh, there is no accountability. And, and I think to a certain extent, it's because these conferences have uh, contracts with all of these officials. You know, that there's not ACC officials, there's not Big East officials, there's not SEC officials. They're just officials that are independent contractors, uh, and they have contracts with various leagues around the country to officiate whatever schedule they give them. And uh, because they're independent contractors, uh, there's not the oversight that there needs to be. Um, and props to the ACC for finally putting their foot down, you know, regardless of whether you agree that this is what should have gotten them fired. You know, the fact is, the ACC put their foot down. They said, no more Carl Hess, and, you know, the dominoes are now falling on him. Uh, I'd like to see more accountability, more more leagues stepping up and saying, you know, this, we have a minimum degree of expectations that we have from our officials, and if you're not meeting it, you're not going to have a contract with us. Uh, so, I, you know, it's probably going to take some time if, if conferences are actually going to have the balls to, to work that into their contracts. So it's just going to take some time to work that through. But I think that's if, if the conferences can do that, that's going to be a very positive uh, result for the entirety of college basketball because you, you're going to know what the expectations are all across the board. And, uh, you know, if you don't live up to that standard, your job is on the line. So I, I'd like to see that happen. Yeah, and it's uh, it's interesting because obviously it, it, uh, in football you're a conference official. So if you're on an ACC football officiating crew, you're only repping games for the ACC or, or you know not conference games involving an ACC uh, uh, you know uh, team. You know typically the away team brings the the officials. Um, you know in college, you know. Here's the thing. I know the conference, uh, you know, supervisor of officials is looking at each game and reviewing every whistle and saying, you know, good call, bad call, or marginal call, something like that. And in terms of judgment, I mean, you're not going to stay a referee. You're not going to get promoted to a lot of games if, in fact, you're missing a lot of the judgment calls in, in the supervisor's opinion. But in terms of this other stuff, that's part of – your judgment as an official, you know, giving tees, uh, you know, even just dealing with the other coaches. And, you know, a lot of the supervisors and officials are reticent to get involved in that decision-making because, you know, and I understand it's, you know, as an official, if you're, you know, certain things set off certain officials, that's just the way it's going to be because we're all people. But the fact that you've got clearly a guy that has a history with a team who threw out two two beloved players in their history, in the very next game he gets with that team, he tees up the coach in the first four minutes, there's clearly a problem there with that official. Because you you have to expect as a supervisor that that's going to be an issue, which is why in one of the articles I read, and obviously I don't know if this is true or not, but the report was that the ACC supervisor of officials told Carl Hatch, hey, I know I'm giving you this NC State game. You have to realize people are very aware of what happened, and you have to go easy on this coach and go easy on this team and and don't get yourself in any trouble. And again, he issued a T in like four minutes and three seconds. So that's that's the stuff that you have to say, hey, maybe this guy shouldn't be doing this for our conference. And, you know, it's just a shame that it was it happened because he said something inappropriate versus the conference looked at it and said, oh, we can't have this guy as an official for us because he's just not doing, you know, he's not meeting our expectations. So, you know, how do we get that accountability? I'm not sure. 
I think it's just a simple fact of the matter that these supervisors have to just be harder on their friends and colleagues. You know, whether that happens, I doubt we'll see it, but I don't know that there's what, what solution there's going to be. And obviously the NCAA has their own man in John Adams who, who picks the officials for the NCAA tournament and grades them each, each game and advances the ones that do the best job. But, um, you know, the simple fact of the matter is in 2012 when that happened, you know, Carl Hess still did, I think, 12 more non-conference games, eight more ACC games, three Big East tournament games uh, because he, he voluntarily opted out of the ACC tournament, which if you're going to get the Big East tournament, why wouldn't you do that anyway? And then he did three NCAA tournament games and an NIT game. So obviously, you know, either the input wasn't made or they thought that was a fluke. Despite the fact that the ACC reprimanded him, they obviously didn't give him less games because he still worked a conference game every week or however that worked out. So, uh, you know, and coincidentally enough, John Adams is retiring at the end of the season. So it'll be interesting to see what the next individual does and, and what autonomy he tries to bring and, and what uh, what reforms he tries to do from the top down the NCAA. But, you know, uh, as a practical matter of how to really fix this, I said in the article, and I still don't know exactly what to do that would really help. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think uh, as long as the you know the supervisors, supervisors of the officials, or former officials that are uh, friends and former colleagues of the officials that they're supervising, it's going to be really difficult to actually get some some change going. Yeah, and uh, we'll wrap it up on this topic. Monday night is the Football National Championship, the first ever true national championship, uh, not awarded by a computer via one versus two or the whoever is number one in the AP after it's all said and done. It's, it's uh, Oregon versus Ohio State for all the marbles, uh, all the tuxedos, and the fancy gold, new gold trophy. Uh, I know you're a Ducks fan. Your sister lives in Oregon. Uh, in terms of this game, uh, are you picking the Ducks and the Natty Champs? Of course. And why is that? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You didn't give me enough of a lead-in to be like, uh, tell us why you're picking the Ducks. But, um, you know, as we saw against the Florida State in the semifinal game, uh, this is a a very high-powered offense. They, They like to keep the defense uh, on their toes, uh, make make a, a lot of uh, changes right at the line very quick, uh, not allow the defense to substitute. Uh, so I would certainly expect that to be the game plan for uh, Monday night's game, tomorrow night's game, wow. Um, and, and not a lot of uh, props is given to the, the defense of Oregon. They... Uh, Obviously, they, they did a very good job on Jameis Winston uh, in that Florida State game. Uh, but, you know, they've been doing that sort of thing all season. Uh, because the offense is so good, that the defense oftentimes uh, gets overlooked. But that's that's a defense to be reckoned with. And, uh, you know, especially with the relative uh, inexperience that uh, – you know, especially the quarterback for Ohio State has. Uh, it, it's going to be a tough game for the Ohio State offense, I think. Uh, so, you know, you put that up against the high-powered uh, offense for Oregon, and I, I think it's going to be roughly the same formula that we saw in that Florida State game, that, uh, you know, it's, it's just going to be too big of a lead uh, for uh, Ohio State to overcome, and, uh, they're going to have the Ducks as the national champions. Yeah, it'll be interesting to uh, see how the loss of uh, Darren Carrington uh, goes for Oregon. But, you know, I, I think uh, on ESPN, I think one out of 24 analysts picked Ohio State to beat Alabama, and they did. So it'll be interesting. I think it'll be a good game, but I, I agree with you. I think Oregon wins it. And, uh and one thing's for sure, though, if it's anything half as good as the semifinal games where it's going to be a fantastic championship and, and fitting of uh, college football being the superior football sport, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, now, uh, not to get too far off topic, but did you happen to see the uh, the FCS 
championship yesterday? I only saw the first quarter. I wasn't able to watch the rest of it. Uh, I, I only saw, like, the last maybe five minutes of the game. Uh, but North Dakota State was, was down by, what was it, six points? Or five or six points. Uh, they had a, a great drive down the field. Uh, they scored uh, and ended up winning the game. So that, I think it was their, their third or fourth straight national championship. So good for them. Well, for the way, yeah, for the Bison of North Dakota State. Yep. To which my wife said, why don't they just move up already? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the same argument as Kentucky playing an NBA team. (laughs) Yeah, but that is ludicrous. Whereas it would actually make sense if a team jumped from FCS to have BS. Yeah, well, it's still a different... A totally different game. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. But, uh, yeah, uh, you know, any other uh, closing thoughts uh, as you uh, head to the Dome tonight? Um, well, I'm just about to get on to 81 in Cortland finally. Um, you know, I, I'm looking forward to being back in the Dome. It's been, gosh, have I been in the Dome since the St. John's game? I, I don't even remember. Uh so it's been a while since I've been in the carrier dome either way. Uh looking forward to seeing the team. Uh you know, there's some good competition in the uh the ACC. This is gonna be I, I wanna call this a, a turning point in the season, but you know, this, this is gonna set Syracuse back quite a bit if they lose this game. So I think there's a lot riding on the, the season for Syracuse to win this game, keep uh keep the winning momentum going so that they can position themselves as best as possible to hopefully make some waves as we, we head into these tougher games coming up in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think, again, I think tonight's winnable, and, and the next uh, three are after that are winnable, too. So interesting to see how Syracuse does if they beat the teams I think they should beat, and, and uh you know, if they can squeak out a couple more upsets, too, after that uh, in the next few. But uh, as always, good talking to you, John. Enjoy the game tonight. And uh, thank you all for listening to the Orange 44 podcast, Episode 6. As always, you can find us at orange44.blogspot.com. On the Twitter, he's at jbrin. I'm at bh underscore orange44. So uh, you can hit us up there, too. Uh, we'll both be on tonight, I'm sure, uh, although John's at the game, so he usually doesn't tweet as much when he's actually there. Yeah, that's true. Uh, maybe I'll still get you with a 30 to the full. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see, yeah. But uh, as always, uh, like I said, you can hit us up on Twitter or, as always, orange44.blogspot.com. Thank you for the listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.